Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello and welcome to Calgary's podcast with Mario Taniguzzi on Canada's podcast network. Joining me today is Doug Vermeeren, who is founder of Certified Entrepreneur Coach. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Doug. Hey, Mario. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be with you guys. Well, let's start just by uh, the start the conversations by telling me what Certified Entrepreneur Coach is. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been teaching entrepreneurs myself for a really long time. But what I've noticed is, especially over the pandemic, we've seen a really big shift as people have sort of lost their jobs and they've you know, been let go and so forth. In fact, one of the stats that I recently read suggested that there's more than 548 million new entrepreneurs in 2020 alone, which is literally wow. 1.5 million a day. Yeah, that's crazy, right? And so uh, these are people that some of them, they've never started a business. They've never had an enterprise. And so that's really what we strive to do is, is help them to do things right so that that income stream that was disrupted can carry on and keep going. Okay. Can you give me a little bit of uh, the background of when you started it, why you started it, how you started it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is I'm a Calgary boy. Hooray, hooray, right? Yeah. And um, when I was about 19, uh, like my family was stuck in the poverty pattern. What I mean is my dad, he worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. And that was kind of the idea of, of, I guess, how they thought, you know, the future should be for me. And at about that time, I ran into a book called Think and Grow Rich. And I started interviewing some of the top business leaders that I could find. Now, obviously, being a Calgary guy, I started with people I knew right here in town, people that uh, had made a fortune in a variety of businesses, certainly a lot of oil and gas people. And I started asking at the end of these conversations, who else do you know that I should talk to? And very soon I was being introduced to some pretty heavy hitter business leaders. I got to, for example, the co-founders of Federal Express, the former uh, founder of uh, Reebok, Nike, the Avita Group, the founder of Uber, uh, the founder of Reebok, the founders of Ted Baker, and, and many, many other companies. And so um, basically through that time, I really kind of learned how businesses and entrepreneurship is created. And I, I literally got to about 400 of these top achievers. And as a young man, I used their skills to build my own businesses. And it was kind of interesting because I didn't, I didn't set out to be a coach or a speaker. I was kind of like selfish looking to learn for myself. But, uh, you know, I, I had this group in Calgary. I think it was the Calgary Executives Club or something said um, to me one day, you know, what did Richard Branson teach you about business? Come talk to our group. And so I showed up there and interestingly enough, as I shared some of these ideas, some of the other thought, uh, thoughts that came from some of the other experts came out. And at the end of that, I had three or four other people invite me back to speak to their groups. And next thing you know, I was teaching business owners and, and coaching. So that's kind of what led to it. So uh, when you look back at some of those people, uh, just say from Calgary, who were some of the, the names that you spoke to that people would know? Wow. Okay. So, and I'm still friends with a, a lot of these guys too. So um, one that was really kind of a big inspiration for me was Brian Sidorsky, who many people know owns a ton of real estate in town. Uh, I had a chance to connect with some of the sharks. I had a chance to connect with them. Um, in fact, one that was also uh, pretty instrumental, a lady by the name of Luann Mitchell, who uh, owned Mitchell Fine Foods and she sold it off. And there were some that uh, were involved in big companies like Petro Canada. Uh, Brian Henninger is another one off of Henninger Toyota. And so like, I mean, there, was, there were just scores of these people. But what's funny is, is as soon as I started kind of getting outside Calgary, uh, I realized actually, this is strange, how much Cal Calgary is actually connected to many, many big businesses that are out there. For example, like McDonald's, uh, one of their head offices is right here in Calgary, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. So how, I'm just curious, when you were doing this, how, how did you manage to, uh, to get to talk to these people? 
Well, you know, I still wonder that every day. The, the reality is, is like, it's kind of funny because nowadays it seems like the gatekeepers that people have set up are in fact, even a little bit more intense. Yeah. And some of the ways to kind of get to people are a little bit more tricky because now, like when I was doing it, no kidding, social media and things weren't what it was. And so a lot of times, you know, getting even their contact information was a trick. But the, the real, real key, I think, that got me in the door with people is asking for those personal introductions. So, for example, you know, when I got to, say, Bill Farley, who was the former owner of Fruit of the Loom, Christian Dior, Jordache Jeans, a lot of these, it was actually an introduction from someone else that made that happen. Yeah. Or when I got to, uh, say, Frank McGuire, who was the former VP of marketing for all of KFC and American Airlines, one of the co-founders of FedEx, uh, again, it was a personal introduction. So I think that that's really the key is um, you don't know who people know. And we've all heard this idea of the six degrees of separation. But let me tell you right now, because of social media, it's more like one degree, right? Like you can almost get to anybody if you know just a couple of connections in between and, and it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. So tell me just a little bit about, uh, you know, were there any common threads for you, uh, you know, from uh, speaking to all these people of, of what made them successful? Oh, certainly there were. Yeah. In fact, I think that there's a lot of things also. It's really interesting um, for me as I, as I looked at kind of what's taught in personal development today and what the top achievers really do. There's a lot of disconnects, too. So, for example, one of the things that we often hear is that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. You've heard that, right? But that's total garbage. The reality is, is the idea starts here. But if you're going to create something big, it's always by a team. It's not you. You're not, you're not the one who's responsible. In fact, I think that that's a really interesting insight because if we look at people, you know, they, they think big, they get this really great business idea, and then suddenly they begin to doubt it themselves if they can really implement it and make it happen. It's because they're, again, reverting the idea back to them. And the reality is, is it, it's not kind of uh, the idea of what can I do, it's who do I know? That's the better question. One of the other things that was also kind of interesting is you hear a lot of gurus talk about people need to step outside of their comfort zone to create success. Yeah. And what I noticed with the top achievers, they do not step out of their comfort zone. In fact, they stick into the what I call their brilliance zone, the things that they're really, really good at, and they actually delegate as much as they can. So, for example, they're not going to go build their own website. They're not going to do their own you know, day-to-day stuff. They actually look at where they really are strong, and then they find other people to support that. Yeah. And then you know, one of the other things that I also found was really like an earth shattering aha for me. Uh, you sometimes see a, a sign on people's desks that says the buck stops here, right? Yeah. But I saw a sign on one of these entrepreneurs' desks that said the buck starts here. And when I asked him about it, I said, what do you mean by that, right? And he says, no, it doesn't start there on my desk. It starts here. Yeah. And then he said that resources follow resourcefulness. And that was really an interesting insight that when we have good ideas and especially if we start assembling a good team behind it, we start attracting better and better because everybody wants to be part of a winning team. So rather than going out to try to become rich, try to be somebody of value first and try and create an idea of value and you'll automatically attract all the other things that you want. So th those were three of the really big ones. But what's funny, <laughs> I actually wrote a book a couple of years ago. This got 21 of those tips that, uh, that I noticed in the top achievers that quite frankly are, are not being taught by either business coaches or other gurus that are out there. So I, I've asked this question before to others. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious what your take is. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or are they made? A little bit of both. I, I think you've got people who quite frankly uh, are just always overflowing with curiosity. And that's the, that's the main thing about an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. We've got to be curious about the world. How can we you know, improve things, streamline things, simplify things, do things in more cost-effective ways? That's what an entrepreneur does. But the other part of being an entrepreneur, I think, that can be taught is 
just the organizational part of it. Traditional business is all about, you know, a hierarchy. The man at the top basically hires people and tells them what to do as the boss. Yeah. And sometimes even you have a small business owner that quite frankly, if someone doesn't show up for a shift, they end up having to fill that shift. So they're kind of self-employed. Yeah. But the reality is, as an, as an entrepreneur needs to look at things almost as though they were a, a conductor of an orchestra, right? If they tried to play every single instrument that's in the orchestra, even if they've got the sheet music, it's going to sound terrible because they're going to bounce from the piano to the bass, to the timpani, to the whatever you fill in the instrument, right? Yeah. But what an entrepreneur really does is they're actually a conductor. They, they really are, uh, their role is to find the best player of each of these instruments, the best team member, and then they need to learn how to conduct and orchestrate that to create the greatest results. Mm -hmm. And so that is a skill I think definitely that can be learned and mastered. But I also believe that a smart entrepreneur, when they come up with this great idea, they can also find someone to co-conduct. And I think that that's a really important thing too, especially if you're you know, working with venture capital people. A lot of these guys have experience. You've got the idea. Let's get their experience involved where they can help you actually find and assemble the right team to hit a winner. So it, it, if it's meant to be, it is not all up to me. It really is something that we can learn and we can do. Yeah. What do you think some of the key qualities of an individual are to, to be successful entrepreneur? Well, I, I think there's quite a few that we could go through. Um, but the reality is, is I think if they have the drive to really pursue their idea, then they're on the right track. And yeah. here's something that I'll maybe just disagree. When I did read that book, Thinking Grow Rich, one of the sayings that's in there, it says, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Yeah. And, and I tend to say that that's not really true. Um, and maybe as an example that the audience could understand, we've all seen American Idol or uh, America's Got Talent. And there's always that guy that they interview in the back room who says, I'm the next winner. I'm the best thing that there ever was, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And he really believes it. Of course he does. Right. But then he goes into his audition and it is a disaster. Right. It is just terrible. So I think if a person truly believes it, then they're going to also be open to what do I need to do to become the best? Yeah. or to really nurture these skills or develop the talents or assemble the team. And I think that this is something that smart entrepreneurs do is they have the ability to recognize where they have deficiencies, right? They have the ability to recognize where they need help. And they're also brutally honest with themselves. They don't fool themselves into thinking that they're greater than they are. But at the same token, they also don't discount who they are and the value that they do bring. And yeah. they establish boundaries to protect themselves in those things, too. So I think that that's probably one of the strongest attributes. Um, and a lot of the other stuff, I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of the other stuff can actually be received through outside support. Right. If you don't have that skill set, not a problem. There's there's people that you can find or partner with that do. So when you uh, you look at entrepreneurship in, in, in general, uh, is your thoughts that anybody could be an entrepreneur? I definitely think so. And I think that we live in probably the best time in the history of the world for that as well. And one of the reasons is I'm, I'm just going to use my phone as an example of the principle of convergence, right? Now, what do I mean by that is, I mean, even just this little device right now has opened the opportunities to so many people and really lowered the barrier for competition in the marketplace. So my phone, just like yours, has a camera. It has the internet. It has the ability for payment processing. It has the ability to, like you fill in the blank. I can connect with anybody in the world. I can partner with anybody in the world and I can run the entire business almost through here. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that every business is, you know, is scalable by your phone. <laughs> I just, yeah. I want to clarify that, that really, you know, but, but it has opened the opportunity for people to explore their ideas and their dreams. And, and there's also a variety of platforms where we can share our ideas and we can also attract customers and find people, everything from YouTube to, you know, things like iTunes 
patents and everything else. Yeah. So there's never been a better time in the history of the world to get your idea out there. And then one of the things that I think is really important that a lot of entrepreneurs maybe don't think about um, if you want to become successful, rarely do you come at it with your first idea being the winner. But with this technology, we can test a lot. We can yeah. see what's going to stick. And those tests can happen rapidly. They can happen inexpensively. We can gather tribes together and we can survey and we can connect with people to see what they're really going to buy. And um, we can get a lot of answers right. Whereas in the past, I think a lot of um, other you know, traditional business models really took a long time to pivot and to find these discoveries. So mm. I just think now it's, there's, there's so many advantages. I mean, we could talk for hours about the yeah. technology that supports us, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, most entrepreneurs are really consumed with what they do, right? Uh, you know, in, in many ways, it's like a 24 uh, seven uh, job, career, whatever you want to call it. Um, how important do you think it is for entrepreneurs to, to learn to step back, learn to do uh, I guess to have uh, areas where that that they can get away from what they're doing and, and maybe yeah. re-energize or or, or or have some uh, stress release, etc. How important is that on the journey? Well, it, it, it's essential. It's essential. In fact, here's the thing that I think is um, maybe a misunderstanding. Um, a person who's self-employed is actually not an entrepreneur. <laughs> so if you are, again, the one who's having to, to tend and mind everything, you're not really an entrepreneur. It, it comes back to that idea that we hear from Michael Gerber as working in our business versus working on our business. Now, yeah. there's something interesting that, that I had a mentor teach me very early in my career, and it made a really big difference. I'm going to just show you a diagram that I think is really kind of cool. And when I saw this, it really made a big, big difference in, in my company. So there's really actually... Um, how do I say this? Maybe, maybe I should give the story on how I was taught this too. So anyways, I, um, when I was doing the interviews with all these 400 of the world's top achievers and business leaders, I got bit by the business bug. I wanted to be a business owner myself. Yeah. And so um, I had a friend who was worth, you know, multi-millions of dollars. And, you know, I, I wanted to take him out to lunch. You know, this idea, take a millionaire out to lunch, right? So I was going to pick his brain and yeah. I sat down with him and I brought this really thick business plan because I thought quantity equals quality, right? And quite frankly, it was mostly full of fluff. And I set it down on his desk. I tried to make the biggest thud that I could. And he didn't even pick it up. He just asked me, he goes, what are the, what are the key transactions? Well, I'd never heard that before. So I started saying, well, this is, you know, this is what we're uh, trying to do. These are our customers. And he said, no, what are the key transactions? Again, now I try to talk about marketing and this is kind of what we're going to do. And, you know, he just kind of rolled his eyes and a minute later said, you know, what are the key transactions? And I try to give some other demographics or something like this to kind of BS my way through because I was 19. Yeah. I didn't know what I'm talking about. So he said, no, key transactions. In other words, you're going to give people either an ASIC, which stands for an asset, a service, information, or community. Those are the only things that you can sell. Right. Yeah. You can sell an asset service in, uh, information or a community. Right. Mm -hmm. And in exchange, they're going to give you money. Right. That's the transaction. Now, the interesting thing is, is most entrepreneurs don't really know what their transactions are. In fact, most business owners don't. And that's why they're sloppily spending time outside of their business and all of these other things. But if you think about it, there's actually a variety of steps that need to occur between the two of you in order for these things to transpire. 
And now we can divide these into a variety of categories. For example, tell, how are people hearing about your business? The tell of your business, right? The marketing, the word of mouth, all these things. Sell, how are people buying things from your business? What do the agreements look like? How are your accounts receivable? How does the cash flow through the company? How do they get what they're you know, purchasing? And lastly, service. So tell, sell, service. Service is really about how this keeps them satisfied and comes back. Now you asked a little bit about this idea. Well, how do you find balance and start kind of, Maybe the term we almost want to use is making this more of a passive opportunity so that you actually are, again, the conductor, you're not the worker. Well, it really comes down to, well, we identify what these steps between are, and then we look at how can I eliminate some of these or delegate them or uh, get other people to support that or hire. And the more that we can kind of give away to others, well, the less we have to do, but we still receive the income. And so if, if you look at it, this idea of working in your business versus, versus on your business, it's almost like a continuum, like a line, right? The yeah. more that you can sort of get the support to take care of these things in the transaction where you don't have to do them. And, and really, you're now the leader who's kind of um, supervising or conducting, again, these individuals, the, the easier it is for you to kind of step away. And that's where, I don't know, not really in Calgary, but you can go and enjoy golfing or scuba diving or all these wonderful things that... I don't know, we Calgarians envy and other people, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, Doug, what what would you say the most common mistakes are uh, uh, by entrepreneurs that they make? Well, yeah, number one is that they try to do everything themselves. They become a jack of all trades, a master of none. And pardon the expression, but it totally kills their business because think about it. I don't know if you've ever gone to a network, like a networking event, and you've come in the room and said, well, where are the losers I can do business with? The people who are mediocre, the people who are average, where somebody who's kind of got his plate overloaded with 10 different things, like nobody goes looking for some like that to do business with. Yeah. So these entrepreneurs who think they, they can do everything, they ultimately are really creating a very weak business for themselves. And by the way, I'm, I'm actually a graduate of the Harvard uh, Business School's entrepreneurship program. And there was an interesting statistic that was given in there that I thought was interesting. They said about solopreneurs or self-employed people that yeah. they generally have the capacity, meaning the bandwidth time, energy, resources to serve effectively five people. So in other words, you've got five customers that you can pretty much juggle pretty good. But once you get number six, everybody has a problem because you just don't have that bandwidth anymore. And so to juggle, you end up serving people at a lesser capacity. So again, if you're trying to do everything by yourself, you immediately put a ceiling on yourself and you'll never yeah. exceed higher. So the CRA actually recently, uh, a couple of years pre-pandemic, put out a stat that talked about the majority of small businesses and, and self like solopreneurs actually reach about a 200,000 K limit. And that's the highest that they can go. Um, but as soon as people start kind of expanding beyond that to get a team, that's where we start seeing people who are now rising even up into the millions. So uh, it, it's a, it's a really big, interesting mindset that people have of like scarcity. I got to hang on to this and I'm in charge, right? The reality is you got to ask yourself, what would you rather have like a whole grape or half a watermelon? right? So get a team and it's going to be easier for you. And, and like we've demonstrated here, you'll get your time back as well, right? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the toughest thing, right? Learning to let go, uh, you know, because you're the, you're the person that started everything, right? Uh, you're the, uh, you know, you planted the seed. And so you want to see it grow uh, uh, and you want to be your hands on it, right? Because yeah, well, well, the, the other thing 
Yeah. And the other thing that happens is I think people get this idea. If I pass it to somebody else, they're going to do it wrong. Yeah. And they also get the idea that it's going to be expensive to hand it to somebody else. Well, number one, this idea of handing it to somebody else being expensive is a total lie, right? Like uh, I'm not saying that you want to go and hire all your staff as VAs from the Philippines, but if you want to start there just to try and see how it works, I mean, you can find people who are, you know, less than $300 a month that will help you. Right. So go try it. But this idea of doing it perfect is really interesting. I guess I always ask the people that we're coaching in our program. I said, do you do everything perfect? Like in your business right now is everything that you do. Is it perfect? And, you know, they kind of shrug for me and they're like, well, I guess I got to admit that it's not. (laughs) And and I I said, well, give me a number. How often are you getting it perfect? Like, what would that look like? And for most people, it's, it's typically about 80 for some 70, some as high as 90 depends on the task. Mm. And so we say, listen, you know what, if you could delegate to somebody who would probably get at 70 to 80%, but you'd get paid every time and you get all your time back, would you be willing to try that? And the reality is, is why are they only getting it 70% right? Well, let's be honest. A lot of it has to do with the training that you're giving them up front. So it is your fault still, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I was talking with um, a, a friend of mine who is um, actually um, the regional president for all of Whole Foods. In fact, he was in charge of 45 stores at one time. And he, he and I earlier this week had this really cool discussion about leadership, right? Like delegating and leadership. And he said that generally when we give someone an outcome and we tell them to go ahead, that can sometimes be their fault if it doesn't work out. But if we give them a process and tell them what to do and micromanage them, then it's our fault because we didn't give them any options on how they could actually go about it. And then he pointed out something interesting. And I love this phrase. It's that people make mistakes, processes fail. And I think that's an interesting observation. If, if, if we allow them to discover a process, they can improve upon something that we might be prejudiced to think this is the only way. And uh, one of my other friends, I thought this was interesting, said this once. uh, I I think this is true for a lot of things. But he says, whenever you say you believe something, you are immediately subscribing to a lie. Because when you believe something that this is the only way, you've cut off all the other possibilities. So how many ways are there to make a million dollars? Well, there's a million ways to make a million dollars. But if you believe there's only one, you've all of a sudden cut off all the other possibilities. Now, obviously, there there are some things that are are always going to be true that are just like eternally true. They're always going to be fact. But there's a lot of things that we believe that, quite frankly, our way is not always the only way. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, uh, Doug, for joining us today. Oh, we had so much fun. Mario, you're awesome. I love it. Okay, that was great. I really appreciate your time, uh, Doug. That was uh, Doug Vermeeren. Got it right, didn't I? Sure did. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Better than some that I've been with. (laughs) Okay, he's the founder of Certified Entrepreneur Coach in Calgary. This has been, it's, uh, sorry, this has been Calgary's podcast on Canada's Podcast Network with Mario Tanaguzzi. Thanks for joining us today.